Let's get to our message today, which comes from Mark 1, 1 to 8. We, start, we started a new series last week in the book of Mark. And the Word of God reads, The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey, and this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and Father, we pray that your word will open up our hearts to want you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, what, I, I, what I'd like to do today is a little bit different. I want to kind of change up my style. And so what I'm going to do today is a little bit different. What I want to do is I want to go through each one of these verses, verse by verse, to make sure you understand uh, what each one is saying. And then I'll end my message with the so what. There's like three so what points. Cool? So there's a lot of teaching on the front end. And then we'll get to the so what's at the end. Okay, so, so once again, to remind you, we started this new series in Mark last week. Mark writes this book. Uh, for the persecuted church in Rome, okay, and, and both those believers are all Gentiles, they're not Jews, and so they may or may not have any idea of Old Testament teaching or Jewish culture, and so he writes this book specifically with that audience in mind, and because they were being persecuted, he writes this book with the sole intent to make sure that these believers ground their faith and their hope in Jesus Christ alone, the person of Jesus Christ alone. And what our passage is saying today is very, very simple. It was He's basically saying Jesus Christ, this Messiah, was a Messiah prophesied in the Old Testament. Whether you've read it or not, whether you know anything about the Old Testament or not, he was actually prophesied. The whole Old Testament is about him. And the thing about that prophecy is that in that prophecy, it says that before Jesus Christ comes, there's a guy who came to prepare the way for Jesus. That's what our whole passage is about. Cool? Very simple. So let's get into these verses. Verse 2 says that the prophecy comes from Isaiah the prophet. Actually, it comes from three different places in the Old Testament. But the reason why he points out Isaiah the prophet specifically is because he wanted to show us that after the Exodus, the topic of this text, that Jesus Christ was going to come and that there was going to be this forerunner, this guy, John the Baptist, who's going to prepare the way, that was all prophesied. Okay, so that was all in there in the Old Testament. So what is verse 3 saying then? It's saying that there's going to be this messenger that's going to prepare the way for Jesus. And that messenger is really interesting because it's described, or he is described, as a voice calling in the wilderness which is bizarro, right? And then the next verse, it says that from the wilderness, he's actually preaching in the wilderness. It's like this wilderness thing seems to be a big thing. And so what you come to realize if you do some studies on this thing is that the wilderness is a very significant place in Scripture. The wilderness in the Old Testament or New Testament, the wilderness or desert, I don't know what you think of when you think of you know wilderness back in the Middle East, it's basically desert. In the wilderness, it was always the place in the Old Testament where God used to bring people to him 
or to bring people closer to him, right? It was always a place where people found God or re-found God. Whenever God wanted to meet one of his people, for some reason, he sent them out into the desert, into the wilderness, and in that wilderness, that person found God or re-found God. So verse 2 and 3 says, there's another word that I want you to realize that's repeated. The word way or path is repeated three times in verses 2 or 3. Now, repetition is very big in, in biblical writing. If something is repeated twice, it's actually uh, emphasizing something really great. You know, truly, truly, I say to you. And whenever Jesus says that, that means, hey, this is like really important because I repeated the word twice. But whenever something's repeated three times in Scripture, it takes on eternal significance. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's an eternal holiness, right? It's huge. It's bigger than emphasis. It's eternal. So when the word way or path is repeated three times, that's saying that this particular way or path is eternally significant. And what we realize here is that the way or the path that he's talking about here is the way to salvation or the way to God or back to God, right? And that's made possible through the person that we're being, that we're prophesying prophesying about, which is Jesus Christ. That way back to God, or the way to God, or salvation, is made possible through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the way really is the way of the cross. It took the death of Jesus Christ to forgive sins and to reconcile us back to God. How do you like the teaching so far? Good? You guys falling asleep? It's okay. You can sleep. We find in verse 4, verse 4, we find out here that the messenger sent by God, is actually John the Baptist. And what did he declare? What does verse say that he declared? He declared a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's a complicated phrase, isn't it? The baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It's actually a very theologically loaded phrase. And I'll unpack it in a second. But let's look at the big picture for a second. What's he saying? He's saying this. He's saying, if people want God, they need spiritual renewal. That's what it's saying. If people want God, if you want God in your life, then you need spiritual renewal, right? And once again, spiritual renewal comes when we are baptized in repentance and forgiveness for the sins that we committed. That's what he's saying. Spiritual renewal comes when we are baptized in repentance and the forgiveness offered because of the sins that we committed against God. What's John saying when he declares this baptism of repentance? What he's saying is that the reason why you don't have a relationship with God is because your relationship with God got broken because of your sins, right? But there is a forgiveness that is offered. There is a forgiveness and a reconciliation that has been made available to you. How do we know that from that phrase? Very, very simple. If you look at before that phrase, the, the NIV says that John preached. The ESV says John proclaimed this baptism of repentance. And that word proclaim is actually the, the key word in this verse. Because the word proclaim means that this prophet spoke the exact words of God to his people. And what, when God says that there is a baptism of repentance, right? that's what it's saying is that there is a forgiveness and a, and, and, a, and a renewal which is available to all of his people. What's that all saying? It's saying that God wants his people back. That's what it's saying. I want you so badly that I'm willing to make a pathway available so that we could be together forever. That 
is what he is declaring. This baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins can happen because God has made that possible for us if we just repent for our sins. But if you want that, he's saying, you need to take a step into the wilderness. If you notice, John preached, he was from the wilderness, and he preaches in the wilderness, and people came out to him in order to be renewed with God. And that's significant. Why? Because if you want renewal, spiritual renewal in your life, then you need to intentionally take a step into the wilderness yourself, which is the place where people find God and where people encounter God. Spiritual renewal only only takes place when people want to go there, right? And we'll talk about that, you know, later. And when they did, what you'll realize is that the place of repentance is always equally a place of grace, right? It's the place where they find God's love, where they find God's forgiveness, where they find God's acceptance of them. They become his, and that's what God wanted from his people. And that's what's being declared right from the beginning of Mark's book. And that's what happens in this passage, and that's why what happens in this passage is labeled baptism, right? Baptism is a symbol of our spiritual recommitment to God. You know, and you look at baptism, like people get dunked in water. What that symbolizes is you choosing to die to your old sinful life. And so the, 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 the physical image is you being buried in a grave. That's why, that's why we dunk people, right? And then when you come out and you're like all wet and you're, you're dripping, what it is is that you are now being cleansed from your old sins and your old life. And you've come out and you've resurrected into a new life, which you've now committed to live for Jesus Christ alone. This is the physical outward symbol of baptism. But what it really means, what baptism really means, is a full surrender of ourselves to now no longer live our old sinful lives, but to now live our new life that he gave us to live for Jesus Christ alone. Do you guys understand that? That is what baptism is all about. You know, there's been so many people here who have been baptized in our church, and maybe when you think about baptism, all you think about is the water. All you think about is that dunking thing. Oh, man, that water is so dirty and filthy. I don't Oh, that was a word. That was terrible. And maybe that's all you think about. But hopefully when you got baptized, you understood, and someone explained to you the true significance of what baptism is all about. It is your declaration that Jesus Christ came for me. And now, because I know Christ, I know I'm forgiven. I've you know, been forgiven of that old sinful life. That's now in the past. I've died to that. And now I get to live my life proclaiming how amazing Jesus Christ is. And I'm going to show all of you that when I get baptized. Isn't baptism beautiful? That's what it's supposed to be all about. Baptism is all about spiritual renewal. It's all about a full surrender to Christ. And so that's what this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins is all about. Do you guys understand? Cool? Cool. Verse 6 talks about John's clothing and his diet, and which was simply an affirmation that this was going to be the, prophes- the, the prophesied guy was going to be a little bit weird. <laughs> you know, that's kind of good. I, I don't know. That's, my, that's the way I sum it up. You know, he's going to be a little bit different. So he wears different clothing. He eats different things. And that's what verse 6 is um, affirming. Verse 7 and 8 shows John's humility. But it also points us to Jesus Christ. Verse 7 says that John says that Jesus is so much mightier 
and greater than I, that I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Now, what you have to realize is that the only people who untied sandals 2,000 years ago were who? Slaves. All right? So what he's saying is, I'm not even worthy to be a slave of Jesus because he's that much greater. That's not only John's humility, but that's how great Jesus Christ really is. He deserves that much worship and honor, and I fear him, respect him that much. You know, the thing is, John didn't even meet Jesus yet, but he fears him and loves him and honors him that greatly already within his life. To sum it up, John calls, a God calls John to be the forerunner or preparer for Jesus. And to prepare the way for Jesus, we need spiritual renewal, characterized by love and forgiveness that causes us, God's love and forgiveness for us, that causes us to live a fully surrendered life, right? Because life itself, our lives, is about the greatness of Jesus being worshipped. Do you guys understand? That's our text. Was that brutal? Okay, you guys get that? Okay, that's it. So what? I have three points I want to share with you about this passage. Number one, the first one is the one that I shared already. God wants you to be his. That's the whole point. The whole point of this whole passage is that God is declaring to all these Gentile believers that he wants them. He wants to be in relationship with them. And that's why he shares this passage with them here today. And therefore, he's extending Jesus Christ to them. That was the whole purpose of Jesus Christ. You know, if you didn't know it, the Bible is actually God's story of his pursuit of you. Did you know that? That's what the Bible really is. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the Holy Trinity could have just said, oh man, they screwed up. Screw them. Let's create a different universe somewhere else. But they didn't at all. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned, God decided to pursue mankind instead. The Bible is a love story of God wooing his people back to him. And this message that is proclaimed by John is a message proclaiming how desired each one of you really are. Have you ever thought about that? This message is a message that declares that you are wanted. You are desired by God himself, right? He wants you to come back to him, to encounter him, and to realize that all of life is found in him alone. It's a wonderful thing to be wanted, isn't it? Have you ever you felt like that, that you knew you were wanted? It's a wonderful thing. That's why, you know, people fall in love. I grew up in a home where... I don't think, at least I never felt valued or wanted that much. And I think that's why I always seem to have a problem with relationships. I'm either like way too clingy or way too abrasive. If you know me that well, you'll be like, yeah, that, that is him. You know? But as I grow older and older, I truly believe that this feeling of being wanted and cherished is one of the greatest feelings any human being could ever have and experience within their lives. Am I right? The moment you know you're wanted by somebody, it's like, wow. I feel like a million bucks, you know, which is not much in today's age. But anyway, you know, I read this one article once that said that the need to be wanted might actually be the most basic instinct that we have in life. And that's the reason why when babies get born, do you know what the first thing they do is when the baby gets born? They put that baby on the mother's chest. Why? Because your, their greatest need is to still be wanted outside of the room. Boom. Isn't that interesting? And that's how we place him on, or him or her, on the mother's chest. The part of me, there's a part of me that thinks that the rest of our lives really is no different from that moment. Because from that moment on, if you kind of realize it, we kind of spend the rest of our lives trying to fill 
that need, trying to fulfill that desire to be wanted. And so we fill our life with achievements, with friendships, with career paths, you know, with relationships, with family, even with things like religion, trying to fulfill that need. But there's only one place where that need actually gets perfectly filled and satisfied. And that's when you find it in Jesus Christ alone, right? We don't know that, however, when we're born. So praise God that he is always in pursuit of us, that his pursuit of us and his desire for us never stops, right? Um, Why does he do that? Because God knows that our greatest need is to be fulfilled in him alone. And the moment we surrender to him like a baby to a parent and allow him to hold us for eternity, that's when we can truly be made whole. If there's any fundamental truth that I want you to leave with today and never forget, it's this. You are wanted. I don't care what your past is. I don't care what you did this past week. I don't care what your life was like. You are wanted. You are cherished. You are valued by the God of the universe. He wants you, and he wants to be with you forever, and he knows that your greatest need is to have that relationship with him. That's why he sent his son Jesus for you, so you could have him forever. That's it. And he's never going to stop pursuing you because he knows that he created you to be loved by one person perfectly forever. And until you find Jesus yourself, the good news really is that he's never going to stop pursuing you. Right? Praise God. Number two, God wants us to encounter him. He does. Okay? You know, this passage is about a man preparing the way for Jesus Christ. A voice calling in the wilderness proclaims that to prepare the way. And so John comes on the scene, starts baptizing people, and proclaims this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So baptism must be the way of spiritual renewal, okay? Which is kind of weird because isn't baptism what happens after you get saved? Isn't the symbol, isn't it a symbol of your commitment to God? Yes, it is. But if you understand what baptism is, and if you understand baptism and spiritual renewal, it really is the pathway to continually be with God, to continually meet with God, to continually be close to God and encounter him in your life, right? The problem with baptism is that when we talk about baptism, all we think about is the pool. All we think about is the dunking in the ocean part, the outward act of baptism. But we rarely think about what baptism actually represents, and that's this total commitment that we make to God in that moment to no longer live the life of the past, but to live with him, for him, forever. That's what baptism is is, right? What I love about this passage is that no one really gets dunked. There's no description of anybody getting dunked with water in this passage. There's no water anywhere here. But the reason why I think that's significant is so that we can focus upon the meaning of baptism itself, right? Which is a fully surrendered offering of ourselves to God. Um, So what happened here? is these people, when it says that John declared a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, what happened was, if we can picture it, is people came out to listen to John. And John told them straight up, the reason why you don't have God in your life is because of your sins, right? Therefore, what does verse 5 say that the people did? They spent that day repenting. Isn't that amazing? They spent that day repenting of their sins. They spent their day surrendering themselves to God. 
And so when they got dunked in the river later in that passage, that dunking literally represented them choosing to die to their previous life, them choosing to die to the life that caused the wrath of God to be upon them, them choosing to die to the life that separated them from the only love that could satisfy them. And so when you think about it, baptism, when you think about the meaning of baptism, it is us continually choosing to die to that old life of sinfulness that caused the wrath of God to be against us, that caused us to be separated from God, and now fully investing ourselves into the only thing that can give us new life and to live that new life, which is Jesus Christ himself. So baptism is that choice every single day to choose Christ over our sinfulness and over our previous lives. And so baptism really is this picture of a spiritually renewed life, and it's a choice to surrender our lives fully to Jesus. Do you guys understand that? I know I talked about this a lot. But there are so many people, and this is the reason why it's important. There are so many people in the church today that have gone to church for ages, but in their personal experience at church, they've never encountered God directly, right? You probably know one or two people. It might be you, maybe the person next to you. You've never encountered God directly. Did you ever wonder why? For so many years that you've gone to church, you've never encountered Jesus Christ directly, or it's been like ages since you have. I mean, you've come to church, you did the CG thing, you might even be a teacher at a children's ministry, you've done the serving thing, and in your heart, you know that Christianity is real, you know that it's good, right? You have a desire for God. You know that this is what you want to pass on to your children once you have kids. You even want your friends to get saved. Right, But when you look deep inside your heart, although you know that God is real, you're not really sure if God is real in you. The sad reality is that people come to church on Sundays or prayer meetings or whatever it is. They have quiet times. And it's not that they don't encounter God. It's that they never encounter God. And that's what's sad, right? They're never overwhelmed by his presence. They're never overwhelmed by his truth. They're never overwhelmed by his grace or his love. And this should not be, right? But why then does that happen within our lives? I am not a professor of spirituality, but I simply think it's because we don't prepare ourselves to meet God. I think it's that simple. I don't think, um, and what, that, what I mean by that is, I don't think we as Christians today in 2022, we don't value God high enough to choose him to, to choose him to be our sole pursuit in life. That's why. That's it. Right? That's, that's the bottom line. Um, God shoots pretty straight in our passage today. He wants to meet us. He made a way for us to be with him forever. He paved the way for spiritual renewal to happen within our lives. And all he says is what? Come out into the wilderness and find me. And if you do, you will. But what that means is people have to put their whole life on hold to realize, hey, this must be that important. He must be that important for me to pursue. And I think it's that choice that doesn't occur within Christians today. And it's because we don't make that choice on a daily basis that we daily miss out on God. And I think it's that simple. 
Okay? Um, wilderness is good. You know why? Because there's nothing there. It's just you. And hopefully you and God. And that's the whole point, right, of being called out into the wilderness, right? The wilderness is a place where you encounter him. The wilderness is a place that hopefully he becomes your only pursuit. Yes, in our lives, we are surrounded by family. We are surrounded by church. We're surrounded by our careers. We're surrounded by relationships. We're surrounded by great possessions and, and all these great things. Yes, and those things are all good. But the reason why we need to choose every single day to go into the wilderness is because we need to understand and develop this discipline that there really is nothing greater than Jesus Christ himself. There is no one greater. There's no one else can fulfill all the desires and the longings of my heart as in, only he can. And if we don't have that discipline to say, man, I want to pursue that above all else, even though I have all these other great things within my life, I'm going to make him my only soul pursuit, then my guess is that you'll probably live your whole life never encountering God the way you're supposed to. Because as much as God wants us, and he does, he wants you, or he wants us. He wants us to want him just as badly. That's true love, isn't it? When you choose to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and being. Not when you're forced to. So that choice is always right there. And it's that choice of not making him our sole pursuit, I think that causes us not to experience God deeply within our lives these days. When was the last time you chose that. When was the last time you said, God, I don't have you within my life? So, and I know a lot's missing. It's been a while since I've really had you within my life, since I knew you were close. And hopefully, maybe I'm giving you the answer today, but when was the last time you chose to make him your sole pursuit? Even though, even though there's a lot of great things within your life, when was the last time you chose to make him your sole pursuit? your number one priority pursuit? When was the last time you chose to forsake all things so that you can pursue him and him alone in the wilderness and just be with him alone? I think that's what we need to start doing within our lives today and make him your, and just pursue him for such an extended period of time. You know, uh, to back this up biblically, scripture says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You know, this is a very famous verse. But if you guys, do you guys know what the word proud means biblically? It's probably not what you think. The word proud biblically, the definition of proud or arrogance is people who don't realize they need God. That's the definition of biblical pride. People who don't realize that they really need God, right? That's biblical arrogance. But God gives grace to the humble. What's the definition of humility according to God? People who realize that all they need in this life is God alone. That's humility. Right? Um, and so they seek him continually through repentance. If you pursued God with that kind of perspective, I got to imagine it's going to change your walk with Jesus. It might change your whole spiritual life. It might change the way you parent. It might change the way you conduct your marriage. It might change the way you work at your workplace. It'll change your friendships. You know what I'm saying? When you make God that pursuit. You know, our lives, were, our, our lives are all complex. Our lives are all busy, and there's so many great things that occur within our lives. But can I encourage all of you to train yourselves to go into the wilderness every single day? You guys understand when I ask you to do that, what that means, right? You, you, hopefully you do. 
Well, what does that look like, Eddie? What am I supposed to do? Okay, fine, I do that. I, I, I'm going to choose to do that. 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock, I'll do that every day, whatever. What do I do during that period? And let me tell you what you should do. It's really simple. It's more of a heart thing than it is a to-do list. And hopefully your heart is to pursue God. Pray. Ask him to reveal himself to you. Ask him to show himself to you. Show, you know, I always, I, I pray things like this. God, show me. I, I'm in love with this. I recognize I love this. I love doing this. I love these people. And blah, 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 blah. But show me, convince me that you're greater, that you're worth more, that you're worthy of everything much more so that these things, all, which are really good in my life, all look like rubbish compared to your love for me. I ask him that. You know, God, give that to me because I'm stupid and I need to be reminded of that every single day, right? Ask God to show you that your greatest need is to be forgiven of your sins even for that day, right? Anyone who truly realizes how sinful they are before the holy God appreciates the forgiveness that's extended to them every single day and lives celebrating the grace that is extended to them every single day. And if you live thankful, that's a great place to be. That's a wilderness experience right? Ask God to show you that Jesus really is everything, and that if we have him, there really is nothing else that we need, right? And then what you, you can do is meditate on his word. Meditate on truth, right? Read scripture. Meditate on scripture until those truths become more true to you than life itself. That takes time. That takes someone who's committed to pursuing God. That takes someone who chooses to say, I value God and him and all that he is first above all things in my life. And I don't know if God's going to do those, you know, lickety split, reward you in that moment thing. I don't know if he will or he won't. It's up to God. But I'm convinced that anyone who pursues him like that will find him. Because that's what he says will happen. And it does. You do that, and you'll be on your way to encountering him genuinely. And I want that for each one of you. Lastly, God wants others to encounter him. You know, this story is, a, is God affirming that John the Baptist is the forerunner of Jesus. God's going to use this man to prepare others for the coming of Christ. So therefore, I think the most rudimentary application of this passage is very, very simple. G John prepared his people and his generation for the coming of Christ. We are now called to prepare our generation for the return of Christ. That's it, you know? And the greatest way that we can do that is by helping people encounter Jesus today. And how do we do that? By proclaiming the gospel clearly and powerfully through our lives, through our love, and even, if need be, through our words. So as we begin this book series together, will you begin thinking of your lives in a Great Commission way? That's not just enough for you to feel healthy in your relationship with God, but that a, a true part of health is your witness, your desire to see other people encounter Christ. We talked about responsibility with this new vision team. Can you now place the burden upon yourself and say, you want to know something? I'm not even going to label myself as having a healthy spiritual life unless I actually do care about my brother and sister at church, that that person is growing. Maybe you can pick some, someone from your CG. You know, maybe take that burden upon yourselves because if John was called to prepare the way for Jesus for his generation, we're called to prepare the way for Jesus for our generation. And that has to be a part of our spiritual health. Do you guys understand that? So I hope you take that burden upon yourself. God not only wants you, he wants them as well. God not only wants us to encounter him, he wants to encounter them as 
well. Um, as we close, let's begin to make some conscientious choices. And just like I said last week, maybe this is this new start of your walk with God. Um, make some conscientious choices, starting now, to live in spiritual renewal with him as your sole pursuit, not only for you, but for others, and maybe most importantly, for God. Let's pray. You know, God is always in pursuit of you. But what he wants most is you. He wants you to want him more than anything else. But we live in a world that makes Jesus just one of the many choices out there in our world, right? And in this world of complexity and busyness, the only place to realize that and to center ourselves in him really is the wilderness. That's the place that changes and transforms us. You know, if you really want Jesus in your life, if you want to start your walk with him over again, and if you want to encounter him, and if you want him to be a real part of your life, then you got to choose him. You already know that he's worthy. You already know how much he deserves. You've been to church long enough to know that. It's just that you haven't chosen to make him your number one. But if you do, he's there. And that's what he wants. And I know deep inside your heart, that's what you want the most and need the most in your life. So the question is, will you choose to go to him every single day and to make your whole life a wilderness journey? Let's pray. here, maybe most of us here know someone in our church who in their lives it's been like forever since they encountered God. It's been such a long time since they felt right with God or close to God. I want you to take the first step in being responsible for them by praying for them right now. Maybe there's two people. Let's just pray for one or two people, but pray for them. Pray that they will learn to make Christ their number one pursuit. And let's really pray that God will renew their hearts. Let's pray for them. Let's pray.
we thank you so much for this passage where you declare that you've extended a way. You've extended a pathway for us to be renewed, for us to reconnect with you. And Father, that you did all the work through the death and resurrection of your son so that we might be yours, so that we could be reconciled and fulfilled in you alone. We thank you, God, that you're continually, continually pursuing each one of us, that we are desired, that we are cherished in your eyes, even though we may not be cherished or desired by many in this world. We thank you that you love us so profoundly, deeply, eternally. And you deemed us worthy enough to destroy even your own son for it. Thank you, God, that you love us that much. But God, the things that are happening in the church today, oh man, it's heartbreaking. There are so many Christians who are so apathetic about Christ. There are so many Christians who are so indifferent. We're so passive in our pursuit. We almost like sometimes blame you for not doing something in our lives. God, that's how demented and delusional we get. We feel so entitled for you to do something. And if you don't, we get angry and we get judgmental. When, Father, you've done it all. And you simply invite us to come out to you, with you. So that we might realize that there, everything in life is you alone. So God, I pray that you would help all of us in this church to be men and women who understand that so deeply, who understand what they're going to find if they take that step into the wilderness, that they choose to do that every single day. And because of what you've already proven to us upon the cross in Jesus Christ, trust in what you're going to do in our lives tomorrow. So God, make us into a community of faith and a community that cares for our brother and sister next to us so deeply that it's not enough for each one of us to step into the wilderness, but we need to help all of our brothers and sisters take, to take that step as well and to encounter you and to know you and live for you. May your baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins truly characterize the lives of the people here in Full Life Ministry. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.